Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. Isn't it bullshit to have to question where your food comes from? At Vital Farms, you can trace your pasture-raised eggs all the way back to the source, the pasture. On the side of each pasture-raised carton of eggs, you'll find the name of the farm where your eggs were laid. And when you look the farm up on their website, you'll get a peek at all the sunshine, fresh air, and open space the hens enjoy. Learn more and find out where to buy them at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit-free. Hello, I'm Orlando Murrin, and welcome to this special episode of the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. In this episode, we're taking a look at some of the best bits, funny moments and top tips from across the series. On the podcast, Tom shares some of his best behind-the-scenes anecdotes from his life as a restaurant owner, TV chef, husband and dad. I have to be honest, the most frightening place you could ever cook is live television. Like, no matter what you talk about, like, because, you, you, you know, whether it's um, first thing on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning shows, those are the shows that where where you're cooking live and you go on there or you, or you take dishes that you feel that you can get done in time. And the thing about live TV, Orlando, you, I mean, you know, you've probably done a few bits and bobs of it yourself and conversations and they have to run to a timescale. They can't overrun. <laughs> you know, the news is coming up. The news isn't going to wait for you to finish cooking your sausage roll, is it? So you've got to. So it, you you think you've got nine minutes, but by the time you get to your section on the TV show, you've actually now told you've only got seven and a half. So then all of a sudden you're like flustered, and as you're cooking, people are then like talking to you and interviewing you and this whole thing is like it suddenly becomes this race against time and then you're also very conscious that over a million people are watching it so it starts becoming this very frightening like experience of trying to get it done and once you get it done you put it up there and you go ah like that and somebody eats your food whether it's phil and holly whether it's james martin whether it's matt tebbett whether it's simon rimmer and they go oh yes delicious and but deep down you're thinking that's not delicious. I've tried throwing that out in seven and a half minutes as best as I can. So that those are the most frightening experiences is live TV every single time. They always do say it tastes delicious, which is very nice of them. But of course you, they you... do. It's television. <laughs> you know the world of television. It's fluff and niceties where people just say lovely things. They're not going to go, actually, this is this is this is dirt. <laughs> 
rubbish. <laughs> like, why haven't you? There's too much salt in it, or it's not seasoned enough, or or sometimes. I mean, I remember going on Saturday Kitchen in the early days, um, maybe ten plus years ago, when you used to go and try have to do the omelette challenge. You know, where you try and get it cooked the omelette as quickly as possible. I mean, there'd be points where you're looking at that, going, like James Martin should not be eating this he should <laughs> he should not be trying to like that that's still liquid so yeah there's and they go mm, yeah l- l- nice it's like it's not it's not it's like, there's there's lots of circumstances where you're ending up going this this isn't the this isn't the best it could be Tom, what puddings do you remember from your childhood? Always steamed, steamed treacle puddings, that like a golden syrup puddings, delicious. Those sort of, those sponges that my mum could sit boiling in. Do you remember those old pudding basins? You don't see them so much anymore, like the, the China ones with yeah. the cloth on the top, sat Sunday lunchtime, sat there bubbling away from about 10 o'clock in the morning Till till then, when it was actual lunchtime, that's what I remember from being that and Viennetta. And any horrible puddings at school? Most of us have some kind of horror story that we remember. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we all talk about blancmange, don't we, as being one of those like bright pink school desserts that we always remember and going, oh, that was pretty dodge. However, like when you look back and junket as well, junkets were pretty bad. Although I have worked somewhere where we used to have junket on the menu and it was delicious. So I think it was probably more the execution yeah. <laughs> rather than the actual dish itself. Do you know, we have a lot of feedback from our Twitter followers and they have a real problem with pink school puddings. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about um, pink custard, um, something pink, which were iced, they could, were passed off as iced buns, but were in fact hot dog puns, buns with a bit of pink icing and, and sprinkles put on top. Yeah, I remember them. They also talked about something called chocolate concrete, <laughs> which is obviously... Blamange gone a bit. Ah, solidified, yeah. And then I worked with someone once who had fond memories of um, roly-poly. I I think it was roly-poly, which they all called matron's leg. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. See, when I used to play rugby at a rugby club, we always knew a kebab, like a doner kebab. That was known as elephant leg. (laughs) Very similar sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) But they can, of course, be wonderful. I think with old-fashioned puddings, we're really talking about Crumbles, steamed puddings, baked puddings, um, and a cobbler. We've got a recipe for a cobbler, which is going to delight our listeners yeah, coming up. Yeah. But just remind me of what a cobbler is. I've well, heard of one, but I don't think I've ever made one. It's kind of very similar to a crumble in terms of you have that beautiful stewed fruit base and, you know, you can use any f- fruit that you like. The beautiful thing about crumbles and cobblers is they are very British and they're seasonal and you use the British fruit. So in the summertime, you can use red berries and then as it goes through into autumn and winter, you're using apples and pears or, you know, this is a bit of a crossover. So where plum season is big ending and the apples are starting, in. that's so you, it's that stewed fruit base and then the topping is similar to a to a crumble except it's more like it's kind of mixed with a little bit of milk and it's it, you make pretty much um i i suppose uh, like dumplings i kind of there's kind of like baked sweet dumplings that are just spread on the top um, so it's a bit more robust than a crumble 
I have done something equally as bizarre, um, and it was for um, BBC Top Gear. Um, so it was when Chris Evans was running it a few years ago when he was presenting it. And we did a trip from, um, we had to go from Paris to the south of France. He picked me up in Paris um, with, uh, there was Matt LeBlanc and somebody else. It was Sabine. And there was three different chefs, me, um, Ollie Deboo, and I think it was Tom Kitchen. And we had to put together a meal that we could cook in the car, in the engine. So so by the time you've driven from Paris to the south of France, that everything would be cooked. So uh, I did um, I did a, a lamb uh, thing wrapped in tin foil and some boulanger potatoes that kind of like stuffed it all into the engine, basically then got sat in the back of the car while Chris drove to the south of France for about six hours, uh, eating um, uh, jelly-like sweets and talking a load of rubbish and got to the end uh, at the hotel where we would have to cook, open up our dishes and see if it was cooked. And it was, um, it, it was, well, it was cooked. It was cooked. It just wasn't, it wasn't the best plate of food I've ever done, I have to be honest, but it was quite an interesting process cooking something in the oven of an old Jaguar. I did once cook um, from a TV show. So if you heard of um, Pittsburgh Black and Blue Steaks, no, I have not. So you were a black and blue, right? A steak cooked in the style of black and blue. Now, that, that would be where the steel workers of Pittsburgh would take a piece of meat with them to work raw. And where they would work on this in the steel mills and the and the rolls, and it would come out, the, the rolls of steel would come out, where it would be so, so hot that when it was there at lunchtime, their thing their, the, where they would cook, they would take their piece of meat <laughs> out of their back pocket or wherever they stored it and put it onto the onto the um, steel that was so hot. It would sear it on one side and blacken it one side, blacken it the other. And because it was so hot, they'd take it off. It would still be blue in the middle. So it's called a Pittsburgh-style black and blue steak. And I have done that once at a steel mill here uh, in the UK cooking for a TV show where I took a piece of meat and... Uh, uh, and I cooked it on the steel as it came out of the rollers. It was, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it was amazing to do. I mean, super like, I mean, it, it, it's not the safest of things. I have to be honest, the steel is super hot, but it was a brilliant process. And understanding kind of like the history of something called why it's called a black and blue steak. So yeah, I've cooked, I've cooked a steak on that. I love the process of it. I love it like on a Sunday morning, like if my little man comes up and goes, yeah, can we have barbecue today, daddy? And like invite some of his friends out and they run around and the kids are playing in the garden and friends come over and you you just, you know, it, particularly the slow cooking stuff, you can throw things on and flavours as well. And it just becomes, it becomes like, you spend, you can spend your day doing it. It just becomes an event, an immersive event rather than just like cooking something for tea, like throwing some sausages under the grill. It's not the sure. same. It becomes, sure. there's much more to it. There's much more to it. It. And Tom, do you eat chocolate on its own? Ever? Yeah, every now and then I'll have. Actually, this is where it it, it falls into two categories for me. Every now, we've got quite often. My wife Beth will buy some very nice dark chocolate that we keep at home uh in the fridge and i'll have it, it like a lot of people say he's got to be at room temperature i quite like the cold snap of mm. chocolate like yeah. i quite like the texture that we'll have with a a, a a late night cup of coffee or tea you know like as a as a, as a treat uh, you know late at night like one of those special things or chocolate 
is the confectionery bars, which are different, fall into a category of uh, I'm driving. It's very late at night. It's two o'clock in the morning. I've still got an hour and a half to go. I need a massive boost. I need a sugar hit, and that's when I that's when I grab for one of those, which is which is like bad, but it it means I get home safe and sane. <laughs> yeah, does the job. <laughs> yeah. Whatever topic we're discussing, Tom always has top tips to bring to the table. Here's a selection of some of our favourites from Tom, including special guest, Chef Robin Gill. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. If we say to you, right, knock up a salad dressing now, what's your kind of go-to? It, it would it always be mustard, and I love it with an English mustard. So I love that strength of English mustard. I love anything, anything that can make you cry with, with 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 that sort of heat. I'm a big fan of right that, but it's always very good with a really good strong. Uh, peppery olive oil like you need like the uh, uh, extra virgin re- spend your money on your olive oil and you don't need to use a lot of it this is the thing the flavor goes such a long way but yeah it would be english mustard and olive oil i know there, there'll be there's a certain french friend mutual friend of both <laughs> robin and I, who would be horrified at the thought that we're putting english mustard with, with with olive oil but actually the reality i love those kind of that combination of the big strong punchy heat peppery flavors not quite sure why you want to be left in tears by it a psychologist would have a field day with that but anyway uh robin you go about 50 percent oil which is slightly unorthodox yeah i try to go less you know and right. it's, again because you're getting because i use the brine from from the olives and then i i've got a really acidic palate as well so i love my vinegars i love my uh like just and they don't need to be hugely expensive either just a standard um white wine vinegar and i i would i would go with more dijon you know and i'd smack it with a lot of dijon as well like two or three big tablespoons into a jar and um yeah a good glug of vinegar until you you know until you're nearly crying and then about 50 <laughs> percent there's a chef's oil. trait here coming across yeah i know <laughs> <Masochistic> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and, and the best way to taste it is like take a little bit of your salad or your radish and just dip it in and just do it to your liking and that's it what we're learning here is that chefs have ruined palates for many <laughs> yeah. years of eating at the high end <laughs> Oh, social media's gone berserk about crackling. They yeah. all want to know about oh, crackling, crackling, and they all love crackling. Paul, it's the best but, thing. I mean, 
the best way of doing it, so pork loin for me is amazing. It's mm. beautiful, but it hasn't got that higher fat content. So if you want to get good crackling on it, you normally have to cook things for longer. But that what that means is that you, you, you will quite often end up with the pork loin being overcooked and dry. Because it can go a bit balsa woody, can't it? And a bit... a bit Exactly. So what I would do dry. if you're going to do pork loin, I mean, I, for roasting, I would always go for a pork belly and do a slow mm. roast. And you can either brine it first or to get a great crackling, right, you buy the best port you can get, very similar to the chicken thing. You've got to buy amazing port that you can afford, port belly. And then you on a Saturday evening for your Sunday lunch, you take it out of the fridge, put it on a cake rack, you stick it in the sink, you boil the kettle. You pour boiling water all over the top of that's the, the skin belly. side the skin yeah. side is what it, it scored, does it, scored at that point no, no don't no. worry about the whole scoring thing it doesn't really? matter yeah you don't worry about it and just pour it all over the top and it scolds the top and dries the skin like it, it will it will kind of shrink a little bit like curve up just a little bit and changes color from that kind of like light translucently pink to being slightly whiter and harder from where it has just been scolded then pat it dry with kitchen towel and then leave it on that cake rack out uh, out overnight okay don't let it sort of out the reach of the dog right <laughs> yeah. uh, on the side leave it out overnight so then when you come down in the morning it's dry okay it's room temperature and it's dried out okay not cling film or anything like that then you put it into a into the oven low temperature around about 150 160 and you cook it for around about three and a half hours mm. right? and you will see it begin to crisp up and go lovely and crunchy and crispy okay and then you turn the oven up to about 220 for the last 45 minutes and watch it and you'll get this amazing incredible crackling. and it it's goes about that brittle drying. it goes that brittle exactly thing. it goes like glass it's about drying it out that's what yeah. can you do that under the grill or it needs to be in the oven. You, it needs you, to be in the oven. If you grill it, get, grill it, it's too much of a direct temperature. that. It, so you're just going like, to burn it? Yeah, you're yeah. just toasting it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to um, assist a Vietnamese chef called Yuan Lu, and she made the most incredible Vietnamese pork belly. And her trick is to, um, in, in a similar way to what Tom was saying, poach the belly first in a, in a pan with a little bit of um, bicarbonate of soda. And that did the same thing to the skin, dried it out, and you would poach it in that and then let it dry. And then again, you're getting this. And let it dry overnight again or, or, for, or for, for a few, few hours. hours. Yeah. yeah, but the bicarb does something to the, to the skin that really dries it out and makes for this incredible shattering crackling. What about the rump and the sirloin and the rib ribeye? No, I'd cook them all the same way. But they've which, got to be which is, which is how in hard and fast in a pan with oil and butter, plenty of salt and pepper, and, and sear that. And the butter goes into the pan and caramelizes and browns, and then you sear it up very, very hard and fast and heavy, like almost charred, crisped up, then taken out and rested at like. Simple as that. Simple as that. But it's got to be a thick cut. You can't do it. It's quite often people buy steaks that are too thin and then they try grilling them. And by the time they've got any colour on them, they've just overcooked them. They're so are we talking like three centimetres thick sort of thing? An inch yeah, in old money? Yeah, yeah. yeah, an inch or even yeah, inch yeah. and a half, like a nice thick steak. And, then, and you baste it. Quite a lot of butter and oil. A lot of butter and oil. Lemon juice, yeah. And then lemon juice at the end. Keep basting it flavours. Chuck in some of Rose's garlic that she's brought in, throw in some thyme, like just constantly baste it, baste it, baste it, take it off and rest it. And the resting process is really important. And the resting for how long? 
15 minutes. Yeah. And the seasoning, do you do that in advance or before it goes in the pan or afterwards? Or in twice? advance, in advance. And so uh, salt, not with pepper, actually. So just salt. So season, heavy seasoning with salt, uh, probably 10 minutes before cooking. And what the salt does is it helps to draw moisture. So the moisture comes from the steak. That means that when you put it into the pan, you've got this, it gives it a really nice crust. It's a way of getting a nice crust and see it. I like this crust on an outside of a steak. Yeah. So it's so you've got this crispy outside and then when you cut in the middle, you've got this gorgeous, soft, lovely center. Do you do around the edges as well? All the, the way around the so, edges. So you Everything. kind of roll it, roll it round. Yeah, this isn't something that you can just like put in a pan and go and watch the telly you've got to you're you are cooking state you cook got to give it some love yeah do you always make your own mayonnaise or do you think there's a place for good old bought mayonnaise bought mayonnaise i'm not making mayonnaise at home come on i mean you want me to like that would be a complete lie if i said yeah of course i make mayonnaise yeah i mean i can make mayonnaise and we make mayonnaise in the restaurants and we have them a particular standardized different recipes but at home i'm not messing about with that you can buy perfectly good bought in ones some people like making mayonnaise though it's, it's quite relaxing I've got, I've got to By some people, you mean you? <laughs> um, I, I, I do sometimes feel like making it, but I've got a new theory. You know that you have to... Have you named me one person that likes making mayonnaise? <laughs> no, it's... it's so name me one. <laughs> See, you don't know any. It's, it was a lo- you just made that up. No, Most people no. like opening the jar oh, of mayonnaise. I prefer, bought my, I prefer bought mayonnaise. It tastes better, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? <laughs> I know that there will be lots of people listening who enjoy making their own mayonnaise and would want to make it for of all occasions that the famous jubilee mayonnaise they would want to be making wouldn't they yeah but I, okay if you want to mess around doing that that's fine however i would say get a lovely get get whatever mayonnaise you've got that you've made or opened but then you add the flavors to it you could a hard-boiled egg that's then been grated you could put in gherkins capers that have been you know kind of all chopped up and minced together make like a, a cross over between a grabiche and a tartar sauce you could put loads of chopped um parsley in it loads of chopped dill it works really nice you can put harissa through it you can put some sriracha sauce through it you can you know you can start creating from that mayonnaise base you can make things super exciting really beautiful kind of next layer flavors at times like this you want to have a great big american fridge do you have a great big american fridge do you yes. have a walk-in fridge? No, I haven't um, got a walk-in. Well, at work I have, yeah. <laughs> Not at home. I have a. I do have a big fridge at home, yeah. Do you I'm have very... two American fridges side I... by side? <laughs> Not side by side, but I do have two. You have two American have fridges? Two, I have two big fridges at home, yeah. Do you have yeah. a chest freezer as well? No, I have no, no, I've only got one little drawer, little freezer on one of the fridges. That's it. And there's not much in the way of frozen food in our house. There's a few peas and that's about it. So uh, with the um, these huge, giant-sized American fridges, you've got plenty of room for these different desserts because you get a bit panicky when you've got a big party that you can't keep everything cold. Listen, this is the thing. I know I realise how lucky I am to have the big fridge. And, but the big fridge works really nicely because it's not just about, like, it being a big thing in the in the kitchen what it is is it, it helps for air circulation the the better the air circulation the better it is at keeping things 
cold. The longer they stay cold, the better, the less time they've got, the, the less chance they've got of going off. You know, air circulated, which is really, really good. So yeah, big fridges or space in your fridge. If you only got a little fridge, but you're making a couple of desserts, look at what is in your fridge. Do you need it? Do you need to keep the ketchup, the mustard, that manky old funny bit of celery that's all wobbly at the bottom of the of, of the like the veg drawer? Do you need to keep that half-eaten uh, punnet of grapes? Does that bit of cheese in there need to stay there or should you just make yourself a quick sandwich like empty the fridge out a little bit to create that space so you've still got room to put other stuff in but like a t-bone or a ribeye or something that for three or four people like a, a big joint of it that we've cooked properly on on the barbecue and it's lovely right at the last minute i might have some wood chips that i've soaked in cider or beer and then take it and then put them into the barbecue at the end and just go oh, so yeah. it gets like a five minute just a smoke just to give just outside because perhaps because you haven't cooked it for 12, 16 hours, it hasn't got deep smoke flavor. Yeah. It has barbecue flavor, but just to get that slight little hint, there, there's yeah. all little things that you learn yeah, along yeah. the way of being able to add bits of flavor here and there. And this is the exciting thing about barbecue is that you're just having a go at it. You're just playing with it. You're having fun. They said, I'm not refined. I, I wouldn't do it in the restaurant. I don't know. We, we do we do some smoked things in the restaurant. We do like a, uh, we do a smoked brisket that is served as a garnish for a burger for one of our pub, for the coach. And you go, that's lovely we smoke those briskets and we do it like it's but it's not the main element it's not what we do but i do love the way that you can get to those flavor processes and coming through with things i mean it's just such a magical way of cooking tom you mentioned how forgiving this is as a format um can we do a lot of the hard work here beforehand, marinating meat, getting flavour into it before we put it on the barbecue? Yeah, I mean, it's massive. It's a big thing. You can, you know, dry rubs and, and wet rubs and brines, and they all make a big difference to, to uh, I suppose, your end product. I mean, if you want to keep it n- nice and simple with the salt and pepper, it's great. But also, if you if you are into a little bit of trying to, you know, your barbecue sauce could also be the marinade, the marinade that you've put things on. It. And it hasn't always got to be slow-cooked stuff. You, I know whether it's prawns or whether it's um, easier cooked quick pieces of meat, whether it's pork or chicken that cooks quite quickly, you know, that kind of marinade that you have it in could then also become, as you take it out, you dry it. And it's always important to get it, give it a quick dry before you then put it on to the grill because the last thing you want, the moment that that moisture, wetness, oil, whatever it is, drops down onto the flames, uh, onto the coals, that's the sort of thing that causes flames that then burns. So what you want, you want to dry and then cook it, start getting a bit of colour on it and then gently brush the sauces back on but a lot of that work is done in that marinade i mean it goes deep deep into the flavors of the meat or even vegetables i mean vegetables work so so well on the barbecue i mean we talk about all we're talking about here is meat and it sounds amazing however you know i know we've said it before in the podcast but there's been a massive kind of reflection and celebration of vegetables and and how to cook them differently because they get you know we grow up in a period where everyone just boils frozen peas or carrots don't they you know but actually the reality of cooking things like root vegetables or things like broccoli or cauliflowers and things like that on a barbecue that have been marinated or even brined or salted and just the flavors that you can get from it cabbages i mean there's a whole cabbages are like on a barbecue the char on the leaves is just magic like you can do so so much with with vegetables and barbecue that you then turn into beautiful salads it's not just about you know they're amazing served cold like charred you know flavored leave to chill chopped up made into coleslaw or something i mean they're just amazing there's so much you can do with it 
Our Where Do You Stand On section has given us Tom's unfiltered opinions on a variety of subjects, from cooking while camping to pineapple on pizza. I've often been surprised. Now, we're going to do a new thing now, Tom, where I call something out, a word out at you, and you have to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay. Am I being psychoanalyzed? Yeah, here? exactly. You're not allowed <laughs> to think about it. And it can, it can be you like it or you hate it. It's entirely up to you. Okay. Picnics. Blanket. Sandwich toasters. Brilliant. What do you use them for? What, <laughs> sandwich uh, toasting sandwiches like I mean cheese baked beans amazing that works really nice. do you really have one at home yeah they're, they're, they're brilliant they're, I mean, do you have a waffle waffle maker at home no I've got one we got we got a couple in, in work but I haven't got a waffle maker at home no but sandwich toasters are brilliant like if you, you need to experiment with putting some stuff in it as well like you can go be, someone pointed out to me lasagna in a sandwich toaster so leftover cooked lasagna into the sandwich and, but, and I was like what are you talking about and I was like way too much in the way of carbs but honestly it was brilliant camping holidays oh nightmare worst nightmare nightmare <laughs> that's the word for that I, 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 I just don't I kind of and I know I'm bracing myself. So my son's six, and there's going to be a point where he starts going. And he wants to go at night and go. And you got, I got to brace myself for sleeping outside in a tent and doing whatever. And, and I get it in a little, in a way, of, for his point of view of adventure. But I've got to a point in my life where I, you know, a hotel with a shower and a comfy bed and room service uh, and a kettle uh, in your room that, or and a telephone that you could say, could I just get a mug of tea for two, please? And, and you know, those sort of, like, the the idea of camping, I think, is, is magical. The reality of it is cold, wet, flies, uh, midges, running out of gas for the camping stove, uh, uncomfortable night's sleep, uh, wildlife, spiders, rats, badgers, foxes. <laughs> like, I, uh, for me, it, 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 it's not filling me with... It's, it wouldn't be my first choice of holiday, I've got to admit. And what about Beth? Would you send Beth off on Oh, that? my God, no. That, I mean, she'd hate even with that. It's like her worst night. If I sent Beth on a camping holiday, that's it. That's probably the last I'd ever see him. It'd be like Blair Witch Project. She'd come back and I'd be gone forever. She'd be like, no, never saw him. Rocket, Robin. I love Rocket. I know it's been Weirdo. sort of over <laughs> overused. <laughs> but again, going back to that garden, the difference between a, a rocket that can grow in the garden and it comes back every single year. And that's another one of those. It, a good rocket will make you cry. And it makes me cry in a good way. <laughs> huge, huge fan of Rocket. Really? I love it. Yeah, big fan of that strong, peppery. I love it. I Do you think not it's find good. occasionally it's like chewing your way through a privet hedge? Yeah, I like that, though. I like the fact that it's making you eat something. It's not, it has a presence. It's telling you that it's there. It's there for a reason. And is it, is it, it's like this gnarly... I think I'm being told to man up about pepper. Rocket yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to cry more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, really. <laughs> yeah, no, big fan of Rocket. Scotch eggs. Delicious. Cheese and pineapple on sticks. Well, kind of on a stick, I get it, just not on a pizza. Coronation chicken. Amazing, beautiful, childhood memory in a sandwich. Really, really lovely. Jelly and trifle. Amazing. You just keep... Really, yeah, delicious, best street party food ever. Je I mean, trifle's fantastic. Jelly's amazing. I mean, what, yeah, keep going. Sandwich spread. 
no, bad, bad times, bad times. What even is that? What uh, what even is sandwich spread? I mean, it like blended up stuff that doesn't even go into sausages or cat food. Put on, put on, put in between, put in between two cheap slices of bread. No, thank you. Fairy cakes, but delicious, really nice. Never enough. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tom. We did quite well there. I mean, I didn't get the usual shout down that I normally get. No, they were so. good ones, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you were picking good great. ones. That now, sounded like the best party ever, <laughs> apart now, from the sandwich spread. Thank you for listening to this compilation episode of the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. If you'd like to hear more podcasts, subscribe now so you're always up to date. Bye-bye.